Good morning. We are grateful for your presence this morning. It is good to be home. If you have your copy of God's Word with you, would you be turning to Luke chapter 6? Luke chapter 6. We are thankful to be home after a week away. We enjoyed our time uh, there in Jekyll Island, Georgia, a few days of relaxation and vacation. Uh, we were also very thankful to meet with the Christians at the Carteret Road Church of Christ down there. I am thankful for the time spent with them. Uh, smaller congregations still dealing with some who uh, have not made it back from COVID and things like that, a little bit smaller in number, but we were grateful to meet some new folks and, and make some friends there. I have to tell you, though, we were kind of amazed. It hit all of us about at the same time on Sunday morning. We were sitting there and made it through Bible class and get ready to start worship and looked around. And like many church buildings, it had the exact same setup as we have here. Uh, the same post on the side and the lights shining up and everything, doors on either side. And it felt a little bit like home to be there. Clayton and I looked at each other and said, this is just like Saudi. The auditorium is. Two sides, middle aisle, everything. So we had a little piece of us as we looked around us and thought about missing you all being here. But we're thankful for the time we got to spend with those folks and the time uh, that we spent away. We appreciate your prayers for safety on our behalf while we were away. I knew that it would happen sooner or later, uh, but it was last Sunday night that we got to the building there at the Carteret Road building, and I received a text message from Alan saying that Sister Uveen had passed away. And I knew that it happened sooner or later, unfortunately, that we would be gone on vacation and out of town when, when someone might pass away and we wouldn't be able to be here uh, for the services and things like that. But as has already been said, uh, just a great sister that we will miss dearly and love very much, and our family in particular didn't really get to know her as well as many of you had for so many years, but we're thankful for the time uh, that we got to know her. And it was actually not this past Wednesday, of course, but the Wednesday before that, that we got done with our services here and, and we're walking out the back door and there walked Alan in and he had a few books and he said, this is the end of the books, of mom's books that we wanted to bring and put in the library here. I'm not sure if there are still any of those uh, there, but a couple that he wanted to come and bring. And then he had a key and he said, this is mom's key. And it has, of course, only fitting A1 on the back of it. And he said, I wanted to turn that in as well. But this was her key that had A1 on it. And I couldn't think of a better fitting tribute, of course, and such a wonderful lady. There are many people here. Think about the Levi's and so many who had a part in the beginning of this congregation, this building here, and that kind of thing. Uh, but, of course, Sister Uvine and, and John and the great impact they had on this congregation. A couple of other housekeeping notes uh, real quickly. Brian wanted me to announce that this afternoon we want to have a teacher's meeting uh, care team one can go ahead and have their meeting first, the care team, excuse me, care team two, care team two meeting will happen right after our services. But if you're a teacher, if you would hang around right after that, we'd like to have a teacher's meeting, uh, this afternoon, right after our service and right after the care team two meeting in connection with that. Let me just emphasize again, uh, that we started a new class this morning. We haven't developed a name for it quite yet. Uh, college age, the, the high school is kind of the cutoff, so those who are college age, but even up to young adults, uh, kind of young professionals, there's several that fit into that category. We're not looking for anybody in particular, but just a, a class for that age. And if you'd like to be a part of that or know someone who could come and be a part of that, we'd like to invite those to, to participate. Uh, I'll be teaching that, and we've come up with a list of topics some things in particular that young people today deal with. And so uh, we want to make that announcement again and hope that anybody who would fit in that category and might be interested in that class could come be a part of that. <clears throat> Jesus often asks questions to make a point. And that's really what takes place here in Luke chapter 6. If you're looking there, you'll notice some familiar passages because as you go back to verse 20, you see a 
sort of parallel to what we often call the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And the context of verse 46 really goes back to verse 43. Jesus says, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. And so it leads into verse 46 where Jesus is trying to get us to do some self-examination, some self-thinking. He, he's asking them to do that there in that moment, but of course by extension he's asking us to examine ourselves and to think. He says then, but, verse 46, but why do you call me Lord Lord. That's the title of our lesson, but you notice if you have your notes in front of you, there's another section, and the question is carried out. He doesn't just say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Why do so many people today call Jesus Lord, but do not do what he says to do? That's the question that we want to examine this morning. I didn't take the time, I didn't have the time to do the research, I don't even know if I could have gotten a firm number, but, but you can imagine that the number is probably pretty large, even though it's been shrinking for many years in, in the United States of America, I think the number is still pretty large of people who would claim to be a Christian, or claim to be a Jesus follower. In fact, what's even happened is we've taken that group and we've divided that number. It's become fractured because some people say, well, I just want to love Jesus and I don't need the church. And other people will say, well, I love Jesus and, and I'm a part of the church. And some people just say, well, well, I believe in Jesus. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do the things which I say? You see, this is common for us. We understand this because it makes sense in our personal lives, within our family, does it not? Sometimes we might look at our children and, and say the same thing. When they're injured, when they fall and they skin their knee, or they want something, they'll say, Mom, Mom, or Dad, Dad. But then when we turn around and ask them to do something, they'll, they'll kind of ignore us, right? They don't, they don't want to participate, whatever it might be. And we don't always say it in this way, but we're kind of asking the same question. Why do you call me mom? Why do you call me dad? But you don't do the things that I ask you to do. There's a relationship here. We have a relationship. But yes, it's, it's blood in a sense as we think about our children. But it's also this relationship that as the parent, I ask you to do something or I tell you to do something and then you do what I say. You, you can't come calling. You can't come begging for things if you're not willing to go along with the things that I say to do. Now, this morning, we want to notice three particular things because sometimes you hear preachers say things like, well, you know, let's just touch on a few ideas or let's look at a few reasons why. But I think as we look at this lesson, there's really only three categories. There's really just three things that we might say in response to this question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? I think we can say with certainty there may just be three categories here. And that's what we want to spend the rest of our time looking at. The first someone might say the reason why they don't do the things that Jesus says, they might say, well, I don't know. I don't know. So many people call Jesus Lord, but they fail to obey him, we might say, because of ignorance. 
because of ignorance. And I've got some examples for you, and we're going to look at several passages kind of quickly here. But, but some people call him Lord, but they don't do what he says because of ignorance. One of those is in Acts chapter 18. I didn't put the passages on the screen. I gave you the names, but you'll have to kind of listen and follow along. Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28. And some of these we won't take time to read, certainly. In great detail, but we meet a certain man, a certain Jew here named Apollos, born in Alexandria. Notice there's about five things here. He's an eloquent man. He's mighty in the scriptures, and he had come to Ephesus. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. And even down into verse 26, he, we might say even fifthly, he speaks boldly. So here's a person who is not wicked, but as we meet verse 26, we see that Aquila and Priscilla hear him and they take him aside and explain to him the way of God more accurately. Now again, I'm using the New King James, what I have here in front of me, but we might say Apollos is a man who might say Jesus is Lord, but if Jesus were to say, why do you call me Lord, but don't do the things that I say, he might say, well, I don't know, I'm just ignorant. Apollos was not a wicked man, but he needed to be taught. The second group is in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And that is the Ephesian disciples that are met here in Acts chapter 19 and verses 1 through 7. There are about 12 men in all. And you see that it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I know we talked about the Holy Spirit, or you did on Wednesday night. And let me invite you back again on Wednesday because we're going to try to further that discussion. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Verse 4, then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him, capital H, him, who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, John's baptism, I know we don't have a lot of time here, but John's baptism was a preparatory baptism. It was to get people ready for the Messiah. And so as these Ephesian disciples here meet Paul and they're going to ask these questions, Paul sees that they are sincere. They were sincere in what they did before, but they were not taught completely. And so they needed to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, not evil people, not wicked people, sincere, but not taught completely. We would notice then as well in Romans chapter 10, some of Paul's Jewish brethren. Some of Paul's Jewish brethren in Romans chapter 10. He says there in verse number 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Notice verse 2, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal. What a zeal? They are zealous for God, but not according to knowledge. Somebody might say, well, that's a good thing. They've got zeal. Preachers preach about zeal. We want you to be zealous. But Paul also says there's a problem because they are zealous, 
but they are needing knowledge, but not according to knowledge. Notice verse 3. He calls them ignorant. I mean, we use that term ugly sometimes to be mean to somebody, but it's not always the case, right? He says, but they are being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So once again, they're zealous, but they're needing knowledge. We would think as well about even just the Apostle Paul himself. Do you remember in Acts chapter 23 and verse number 1, he, he kind of sums it up best about himself. When he's, of course, he's going through these defenses, if you will. He's having to give a defense for all the things he's done and said and what's happened to him. But he's recounting some of these things and he says, looking earnestly at the council, Acts 23 and verse 1, men and brethren... I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. What are we talking about? What's he talking about? He's talking about the time before his conversion. And what he's saying is, I did what I did honestly. I did what I did honestly, but I was wrong. I did it as honest as I knew how at the time, but I look back and I see that I was wrong. We might also notice, fifth and finally here, that this might also describe people, many people who are a part of what we would call denominational, denominationalism. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 7, that is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, where Jesus is speaking here and says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Kind of the idea from Luke 6 that we were just talking about. But not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. When we talk about many people being denominationalism, what we're saying is there are many people who are so-called religious. There are many people who say that they love Jesus, but they need to be taught God's will. They need to be taught exactly what the scriptures say. Because some people, and maybe you even know somebody, in your own family, who's doing something, and you look for it in Scripture, and you don't see it anywhere, but they're not because they're being evil, because they're being disobedient. They just ha always had somebody else telling them that this is what God says we're to do when it's found nowhere in Scripture. Some people are religious, but they need to be taught exactly what God's will says. So what's the solution, then, for this kind of person? The kind of person who says, I don't know. What's the solution? Well, if we're talking about ourselves, the solution is to study. And we might say, study, study, study. Do you remember in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15? 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul says, be diligent. You know what that means, don't you? It means you can't be lazy. It means you can't just do it whenever you feel like it, just uh, on a whim. But be diligent. To present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. If our answer is that we call Jesus Lord, Lord. But we don't do the things he says. And the reason is because we're ignorant. Then for ourselves we need to study, study, and study again. Keep studying. So that we can know the will of the Father. And we can do those things. But if we're thinking about others. We might say for others we need to teach Teach, teach. If you're still there in 2 Timothy, do you remember chapter 2 and verse number 2? Paul would tell the young man Timothy, And the things that you have heard from me <coughs> among many witnesses, 
Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, faithful men to others. There's this pattern. It keeps going. It keeps cycling down. You see, if a person says, well, I call Jesus Lord. I believe in Jesus. We say, well, why aren't you doing the things that he says? And they say, I don't know. We need to teach, teach, teach. Teach the Bible. Teach God's word so that they will know what to do. Some people are ignorant. Many people in the world call Jesus Lord, but they fail to obey him out of ignorance. For ourselves, we need to study. For others, we need to teach. But that's one group. And we might say, secondly, the second group is those that say, I don't care. I don't care. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Well, Jesus, it's because I don't care. You may have heard the story that's told, the antidote that's told by preachers commonly of the lukewarm Christian, the, the lukewarm man sitting in the audience who kind of has that scowl on his face and, and he's going out the back door and, and, and after the service is over and the preachers, as we sometimes say, shaking him out and he comes and he, and he meets the preacher and he's got that scowl on his face and the preacher says, do you know what the biggest problem with Christians today is? The man says, I don't know and I don't care. The preacher says, that's it. That's the two biggest problems we face today, people that don't know and people that don't care. So let's talk about it for just a moment. Many people call Jesus Lord, but they fail to obey him because they have wicked hearts. Now that's a large section of society today. That's a large group of people who will act as hypocrites, we might say. They claim to follow Jesus. They will call him Lord. They will call out for him again when they need help. But in reality... They have wicked hearts that do what they simply want to do. Again, a few examples. Number one, the Pharisees. If you have your Bible, look in Matthew chapter 23. By the way, we are going to come back to Luke 6 in a few moments. But Matthew 23. This is maybe the, the most turned to passage sometimes when it comes to the Pharisees. Notice down through there. Even beginning in about verse 14, verse 13, that Jesus says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And then he lumps them together and calls all these people hypocrites. Well, why are they hypocrites? Well, we don't have time to read all of verses 14 through 33. But we notice in verse 14, he says, You devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Verse 15 for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Verse 23, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. We're familiar, of course, with verse 27 as well. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of nothing but dead men's bones and all uncleanness. These Pharisees were people who were claiming on the surface, if you saw them pass by on the road, you would say, right there goes a righteous person. A person who claims to love God. And Jesus says on the inside, they're full of dead men's bones. They're full of uncleanness. They're full of the rottenness. Because they claim to 
call Jesus Lord or they say Lord, Lord, but they fail to obey him because they don't really care. The second group we might notice is what we might call religious charlatans. If you have your Bible, look in Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. <clears throat> Again, some of these people who are intentionally misleading folks. Titus chapter 1 verses 15 and 16. Paul this time encouraging Titus, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. What's, who's he talking about here? People who claim to follow Jesus, but aren't doing the things that he says, they don't care. They're full of disobedience, and dis, they're disqualified. There are many people, you probably don't have to go far on your television, certainly in the age of social media, on YouTube or many places, where people will claim to say things. If you just believe enough, if you just give enough money, knowing full well the things that they say are not in Scripture, they don't care. They're just leading people astray. They're religious charlatans, we might say. And then even thirdly, we might think about even back then and even now, obstinate humans who think that they can live how they want to live. They can do what they want to do, yet still call Jesus Lord and be saved. Do you recall all the way back in the book of Jeremiah? Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse number 4. It wasn't but a few months ago that we talked about Jeremiah in our book of the month study. And we pointed out this passage. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, verse 3, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. There are people in Jeremiah's day, there are people in Jesus' day, there are people today who claim to follow Jesus but will do what they want to do. Have you ever met anybody like that? I, I tell the story quite often of a person who I worked with in the steel business that I was in. Hadn't been there very long, of course, and, and that we were in the warehouse, we were working around, and I walked up on two guys arguing. One was sitting on a forklift moving some things, and the other one, they, and they were kind of cutting up, but, but one was, was cussing the other. They, they, of course, used that language pretty frequently, and he, he was cussing. He saw me come up, had known me long enough, turned around and said, oh, excuse me, preacher, and then went back to, to cussing the guy out again and what they were doing. And, of course, I stand there, I guess, feeling like the Pope. I don't know. Like, if I just say, well, bless him and excuse him, it's okay. But, of course, that's the way we, people treat things. I, I, mean, I don't know, remember that guy's details. I really don't know. But I have a feeling he showed up to church every once in a while. I have a feeling if I asked him, he'd probably tell me he believed in Jesus. But yet, he might be what we call an obstinate, obstinate human that will say one thing, but then spend every other waking moment doing what he wants to do. Speaking how he wants to speak, living how he wants to live. Some people call Jesus Lord, Lord, and don't do the things which he says because they simply don't care. So what's the solution? Again, what's the solution for this kind of person? There's only one solution, a heart transplant. Do you remember in James chapter 4 and verse number 8? James 4 and verse 8, James says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's what it's about. It's about a heart transplant. Not one that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. Not one that requires a scalpel and doctors and nurses. But a heart transplant. A purifying of the heart. A person who says, Jesus is my Lord, but doesn't really care and does whatever he wants to do, really needs a heart transplant. You see, they don't need to study because very often those people have studied a good bit. They just choose to do what they want to do. They don't need to teach others, that's for sure. We don't want people following those kind of hypocritical footsteps as the Pharisees did, as, as the Pharisees were. But the solution here is a heart transplant. Now, I told you there were three. And you look at those two and you say, well, you know, I know. So it's not that I don't know. And, and I do care. So what's the third category? What about people who are struggling? You see, many people call Jesus Lord but they fail to obey him simply due to inconsistency. Many people call Jesus Lord, but they fail to obey him due to inconsistency. If I asked for a show of hands, most of us would probably raise our hand right here, and I would include myself in that category. I know, I care, but I'm simply struggling. We don't have a wicked heart, but we're not ignorant either. We just simply struggle in this life. Two more examples, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. What about King David? I think King David fits into this category. He was a man after God's own heart, right? We read that in Acts chapter 13 and verse number 22. It's said of David that he was a man after God's own heart. And you know, that's not something that he made up for himself. That's just not some kind of moniker. He said, well, I think I'll call myself a man after God's own heart. God called him that. David was a man after God's own heart, but he struggled at times, did he not? You think about being wicked or not caring, that iniquity. What about his time with Bathsheba? That, we might say that certainly, 2 Samuel chapter 7, that certainly is a wicked heart or a wicked person who participates in that sexual sin, <coughs> but also takes the life of Uriah right after that, right? He got caught up in the iniquity and the I don't care what God has said to do in the wickedness of this life. But he also got caught up into the ignorance, we might say. We think about the transporting of the ark. Do you remember Uzzah? Uzzah reached out and touched the ark. Who was on watch when that happened? It was under King David's rule. Now, yes, Uzzah did it. Uzzah knew he wasn't supposed to touch the ark, and he did. But who was on guard? Who was in charge? It was King David. The transporting of the ark was done incorrectly, as is later stated in Scripture. So there's a bit of ignorance, maybe, or not knowing. What about the numbering of the people that takes place in 1 Chronicles chapter 21? David numbered the, or numbered the people, and he was going to be punished for that, in a sense. He struggled with these kinds of things. He had ignorance. He had iniquity. He struggled with the inconsistency of this life. That's King David in the Old Testament. But let's go over to the New Testament and think about the Apostle Peter, who also fit into this category. We know that Peter loved Jesus and he wanted to do what was right. 
You remember in John chapter 21, John 21 verses 15 through 17, where Jesus asked him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? A second time and a third time. Peter says, yes, you know I love you. Peter loved Jesus. He wanted to do what was right, but at times he was inconsistent. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23, when Peter needs to be rebuked by Jesus? When Jesus turns and looks at Peter in verse 23 and says to him, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You see, Peter was inconsistent. We think about Galatians chapter 2. You remember in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, that Paul would write and say that Peter was being a hypocrite. That Peter would be one way around one group of people and another way around another group of people. And Paul said, I had to withstand him to his face because he was wrong, because he needed to be blamed. Peter was inconsistent. He loved Jesus and he wanted to do what was right. But maybe Peter is one of those people like us that says, I'm struggling. So very quickly, what's the solution or the solutions in this case for this kind of person? Well, we must grow in Christ. We think about 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18. 2 Peter 3, 18. Peter says, but grow in the grace. That's important. A lot of people today like to talk about grace. Grace is important. We are saved by grace. But what else does he say? Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The encouragement from Peter there and to us today is that we need to grow in Christ. None of us are going to be perfect. None of us. No elder, no preacher, nobody. We're not going to be perfect. But sometimes when we feel like we're struggling always, the solution is we grow. We move forward and we see that we never stop struggling, but maybe we're not struggling as much as we once did because we have grown in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We might say secondly as well that we need to walk in the light. You may not even have to turn the page in your Bible. 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 and 9. We quote this quite often. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. That's our topic for this afternoon, by the way, if you'd be back with us at 1.30. We're going to talk about fellowship for a few moments. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us. To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to walk in the light. Somebody says, well, I mess up. I get it. I mess up too. But if we're living a life that is walking in the light constantly, that's the few and far between. It happens, but it's not our consistent nature to be wicked, to mess up. It's something that happens because we're simply human and because we are inconsistent, because we do struggle. And then thirdly, we might say that we must encourage one another. We love Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. But exhort or encourage one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see, how is it that somebody gets over here? How is it that somebody gets hardened from sin? They get separated to the point where they don't care anymore. It's quite often because they've stopped encouraging other people and being encouraged themselves. 
You know, we always, we almost always, myself included, without a doubt, go to Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 to talk about attending church services. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. Absolutely. Can I invite you to check out Hebrews 3.13? How is it that somebody gets over there to the point that they don't care anymore, except for that they have stopped encouraging others and being encouraged themselves? And that happens when we're separated from other Christians, when we are not a part of the body. We become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We watch too much Netflix. We watch too much YouTube or social media or whatever. We think all that looks great and exciting and we want to be a part of that. Whether it's sinful or not, we become hardened whether or not it is sinful. And we forget about the encouragement of the Christians of God's church, God's people over here. That's what happens when we separate ourselves from each other. If you want to stop struggling, and I use that carefully because you're never going to stop. If you want to make your struggles maybe fewer and far between, you need to grow in Christ, walk in the light, and encourage one another. I told you we'd come back to Luke chapter 6 for just a moment. The question is, do I call Jesus Lord but fail to obey him? The question is, is my life consistent with my language? And by language, I just don't mean cuss words or whatever like that, dirty jokes. I mean calling him Lord, Lord. Is my life consistent with my language? That's the question. In Luke chapter 6, he says that in verse 46. But going through verses 47 through 49, you know what he does? He tells one of the simplest stories in all the world, the story that we teach our children from the youngest age that they can learn to do their hands like this. There's a wise man who built his house on the rock. That wise man built his house on the rock, and what happened? The blessings come down. What was the difference between the wise man and the foolish man? They both heard. That's not the difference. They both heard the words of Jesus. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? The wise man heard the words and acted upon it. He built his house on the rock. The foolish man heard the words and said, either I don't know or I don't care. What about you? What about me? This morning as we conclude this lesson, we have to answer that question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? I have a feeling for many of us it's because we're struggling. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a child of God. We're about to sing this song that's been selected, that you would become a Christian, that you would put Christ on in baptism, where your sins are washed away by the blood of Christ. You can be added to the church by the Lord, and you can begin to live faithfully. You can begin to say, I know and I care. But unfortunately, what happens, though, is we know and we care, but we begin to struggle sometimes. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're a child of God, but you've wandered away, or you're struggling in some fashion. We'd love to pray with you and for you. We are to remain faithful even up until the point of death. We are to walk in the light, but that's a struggle. If you're here this morning and you're a child of God and you've wandered away in a public sense, you'd like to come forward to the front and make that known in a public sense. One of our elders would love to receive you and pray with you and for you in just a moment. Maybe you're struggling with something else. We're thankful to be together to encourage one another, as we said just a moment ago, that we can be right with God, that we can make our lives in line with his will, that we would do his will. We're thankful for this opportunity, and if you'd like to make a change, you can do so now as we stand together and as we sing.